On today's episode of Shooting the Breeze, we're talking about a variety of topics ranging from different types of lightning that you may or may not have heard of, tropical forecasting, and some of the U.S. climate normals that were released earlier this week. It's going to be a fun conversation with different varieties of topics, so sit back, relax, and let's shoot the breeze with your local weather authority. Good afternoon, everyone. Hi. Hi, Molly. How are you? <laughs> you guys can't see it. One of these days, we're going to get a camera in here and watch you guys we need to jam try. out to our to our generic intro music. Our, in, our <laughs> intro music slaps, okay? Yeah, we were That's going. courtesy, uh, thanks to Krista Yates, who was able to pick that out for us. Krista, ah. you're the best. So, yeah, kudos to her. I gave her an assignment one night. I'm like, here, honey, you're, you've got the ear for this. And then she went through and... Within an hour, at it. This is it. That's nice. Yeah, so. we love it. So, meteorologist Adam Sherwinski, how are you? What's up? And Molly Nason, how are you? Oh, I don't get the meteorologist. Meteorologist title. <laughs> Molly Nason. Hi. <laughs> I just kind of already said hi to you guys. Anywho, that kind of an interesting, um, interesting day. I'm going to turn this towards you guys so I can actually see your faces. Yay! Conversation. It's like a grab bag or potpourri. Potpourri. I like that. Or uh, what else do you want to call it? A uh, uh, variety Schmorgis, hour. Smorgasbord. Smorgasbord. We is can't what call it a. Ver- it. Yeah, we can't call it a variety hour because our podcasts usually aren't an hour. Yeah, usually not an hour. You're right. You're right. Yeah. 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 Where do we want to start? Uh, let's see. Um, weather history. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go with weather so history. So let's go because we have a lot to talk about since the last time we did a podcast. It is May 7th, 2021, but May 7th, 1995, an F3 lasted for an hour-long, 34-mile path. That's a pretty long trip for a tornado. So it went through uh, Love and uh, uh, Love County in Oklahoma, and also caused $100 million in damage, $75 million of damage in one town alone. May 5th, 1995, in Dallas. One of the costliest hailstorms ever in U.S. history. $2 billion. Keep in mind, 1995. $2 billion in damage and over 500 people injured. May 3rd, 1999. EF5 tore through Moore, Oklahoma. Killed 36 people. First tornado emergency ever declared. And that was a very, very scary day. Um, That's the the second time that Moore has been through an F5 or an EF5. May 4th, 2007, first EF5 tornado since the Enhanced Fujita scale was implemented. Uh, It is the Greensburg tornado in Kansas. Uh, 95% of the city was gone. 11 people died in rebuilding the town as a green town, one of the first in the United States in 2007. So a lot of tornado stuff. I tried not to put all tornado stuff, but usually this time of year, a lot of tornado stuff. You're going to get a lot of tornado stuff in Mm -hmm. May. All right. Uh, let's start off with um, this is an interesting topic that I don't think a lot of people at home even know exist. So let's let's start off with this. It is uh, different types of lightning phenomenon. And so Molly's excited because I think of the names of these. Oh, well, okay. As Chris mentioned, we want to put a camera in here. I'm very excited. Um, so as far as weather phenomenon go, and one is one of the types that is kind of 
all across the globe is lightning because lightning happens just about everywhere. Everywhere that gets thunderstorms, you can get lightning. So we know the most common types, cloud to ground and in-cloud flashes or intra-cloud flashes. I'm going to stop saying that because I'm just going to keep saying flashes, and that's not the word <laughs> we're looking for. <laughs> so th those are the kind of two most common ones that we think of. And within the most common ones that we think of, heat lightning uh, comes to mind. And that's actually just lightning that's part of a system that's so far away that you don't hear the thunder associated with it. And because of what is known as blue light scattering, it usually shows up as a reddish or purplish color because the blue light or the white light that's usually associated with it isn't traveling far enough. Do you know how many times I get I get asked that question every year? Is he lightning real? How many? It happens all the time. I, I don't I can't even count it. But yeah, just an interesting because I've actually here's a fun fact. I've never heard that term until I came out to the Midwest. Hi. So I it, it's just it it's just different because. Mm -hmm. I know we're kind of going to branch off here for a second. Like lightning? But in the in the high plains, we can see thunderstorms from 200 miles away. I mean, you can, because it's it's that dry, it's, you know, and you can see the storm tops, you're a mile above sea level plus. And so you can just, you can see forever. And so it's not uncommon for us, in, when I was in Cheyenne, to look to the south and see a thunderstorm over Denver, which is 200 miles away. You know, you can all see all the lightning on top of the storm. You know, yeah, that's not, you know. It's way out there, but you're never going to, but it was just common knowledge out there. But out here, it's different. It's, mm -hmm. it's, and, and you see different things. I mean, you get a thunderstorm in New York City, they think it's Independence Day and the world's going to end. So in California, if they get pea sized hail, they think the world's going to end. Fair. Then again, in California, if it rains more than a half inch, they think the world is. Going yeah. To All right, back to the different types of lightning because this gets only cooler with time. It's true. It, all, it does get cooler with time. So heat lightning is one of those. Um, and then spider lightning is a form of intra-cloud lightning that is the kind that just branches off and all of those different little spindly little arms. Uh, so those are the cool ones that you typically see. Cloud to ground lightning and bolts from the blue kind of go hand in hand. Cloud to ground lightning is when a negative charge from a cloud meets that positive charge with the ground and then they flash kind of in the middle of the sky but in that split second. Bolts from the blue are tied to that, but they're when the storm is just miles and miles and miles away. You have perfectly blue sky and boom, just bolt of lightning out of nowhere, which is part of why we tell you if you can hear thunder or you know there's a thunderstorm coming, go seek shelter because bolts from the blue are one of the more dangerous ones because you don't expect it to happen. And the polarity of those are also changed. They're, they're usually reversed because it comes from the top of the storm mm -hmm. instead of the base. Or it just means you made Zeus really, really, really mad. Yeah, angry. yeah. Let's not delve into which one that is because there's <laughs> going to be a lot of different opinions on that. So now we dive into the less common ones. And these are all kind of grouped together in what's known as transient luminous events. Most of them are all associated with the tops of thunderstorms, which is why we don't normally see them from the ground. These are actually usually reports from airplanes that are flying near thunderstorms or over the tops of thunderstorms is where we get a lot of the reports from. So the first one that we have is blue jets or gigantic jets. They're the same thing. One's just taller than the other, a.k.a. the gigantic jet. So they kind of go from the top of the cloud. They extend upward and they kind of fan out in a cone shape. They disappeared about 25 to 35 miles above the cloud top. Bolts from the blue, or blue jets, sorry, typically stay just above there, but uh, gigantic jets can actually reach as high as the ionosphere, which is why they're called gigantic jets, because they can reach so much higher. 
Um, so those are just two types. And then you have sprites. Sprites are fun little guys. Um, they usually appear directly above thunderstorms, so at the very top of the cloud. Mm-hmm. And they are rare in the sense of you have to catch them right when they happen because yep. they don't last very long. Um, they usually happen at the same time as cloud-to-ground lightning. Actually, a lot of these typically happen at the same time as cloud-to-ground lightning. Um, and they're usually red. And they can extend up to about 60 miles above the cloud tops. But, again, they happen very rapidly and people usually miss it. And, in fact, they were not discovered until 1989, which just kind of adds to the fact that we know so much about them and they're not really that old. And then you have elves no no not legolas not santa claus (laughs) elves that's what i said i was like oh legolas okay cool not not santa claus elves no no so these are rapidly expanding disc shaped light that can be up to 300 miles across and again they happen at the top of thunderstorms and they were actually not discovered until 1992 and they were originally thought to be terrestrial gamma ray flashes but then a little bit more research and observation was done and they found out that all of these signals were coming from earth uh, most lightning, like our weather, is in the troposphere. Most of our weather, you know, everything happens in the troposphere, which is the closest layer of the atmosphere to the ground. You can get blue jets that reach the stratosphere, and gigantic jets, as I mentioned, can reach the ionosphere, which is nice close to tippy-tap. Uh, sprites and elves can actually reach up to the mesosphere and ionosphere both. They're really interesting. These, the, these type of lightning, they're all really cool, and... and um We've had, you know, I've had former classmates that have done research with other researchers on these, and Colorado was kind of a great place to, to view them because you get all the storms coming off the mountains, and then by nightfall, those storms would be out in Nebraska and Kansas, and so they'd put cameras on the mountains looking east, and then you can see the top of the storms and all the, you know, the sprites and blue jets and, and all that stuff just kind of lighten up on the top, and it's really cool. Uh, apparently, the government found it was is important because for i think they were developing very high you know flying blimp technology for surveillance or whatever whatever it is military uses and you got to get above the clouds for that and if you're going to be up in the stratosphere uh lightning in the stratosphere could be a problem to a blimp yeah a little little bit so uh yeah yeah quite interesting um the other one and chris and i kind of talked about this a little bit is ball lightning uh unfortunately Ball lightning is so extremely rare that there's just not enough information on it. And it sounds exactly like you would think it is. It's literally a ball of light that's superheated. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of just separated from the clouds. And people have said that it just kind of floats there and stuff like that. But it's very rare. So there's not a whole lot of information on it. I, I think I've heard people say it's some sort of plasma yeah, I, yeah. I, I, it's it's not it's not something I know. It's clearly a ghost, guys. Yes. Goodness, <laughs> my guy. It could be my guy. I mean, when you see one, it's pretty shocking. <laughs> <laughs> Adam, we're supposed to save the jokes, the for, jokes the for the end of the, end of the podcast. Of the show. <laughs> whoops, whoops! It was on the tip of my tongue. I had to say it. I had uh-huh, to say it. Uh huh. I was waiting for it. But yeah, no, those are those are the lesser known types of lightning and the reason why we don't normally see them from the ground is because they are 
on top of yep. the clouds. But if you just so happen to be in a plane that's flying over a thunderstorm or off to the side of one, you might be able to catch it. Yeah, look up. Yeah, don't look down. If you are in a plane flying next to you or, you know, over a thunderstorm, which is depending on the storm, because I think a lot of the times these are associated with, with the stronger storms, which mm-hmm. probably have cloud tops that are over 60,000 feet. And so you're probably not going to be flying over them necessarily, unless you want a lot of turbulence. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, but you know most planes cruise around 30, 34, 36, maybe even 40, depending on where you're going. Um, but you know you're close. You know, look up at the top of the storm, and that's try to focus on that. And you'll there'll be really quick flashes. Now I haven't seen them in person, but I've seen video, mm-hmm. and I've seen a lot of pictures of them, and they don't they're they're quick. I mean they're they're just a quick flash, and you're like, did I see what I just saw? I think they, the video even that is out there usually has to be slowed down to get any decent look at them, too. Oh, yep. yeah. And they're usually, they kind of look like jellyfish, right? The sprites in particular. Yeah, they do. Uh, they have a jellyfish type look. Uh, there's a section of sprites that gets referred to as the tendrils, and it's the parts of it that are closer to the cloud tops. Yep. And then the sprite part that you're usually seeing is what's further up and farther away. Yeah, it, that is a really cool, um, and, and it's still something that's being heavily researched because it's, you know, their discoveries are in terms of science, relatively recent. Mm -hmm. Uh, You mentioned, what, late 80s, early 90s? So, Sprites was 1989, and Elves was 1992. Okay. So, yeah, relatively new. I mean, in in terms of science, right, physics, chemistry, uh, meteorology is a relatively young science. And, you know, it's a couple hundred years old as far as where you start getting into real in-depth research Mm -hmm. on the topic. Um, But, you know, it's something that's only a few decades old. You know, there's not a lot we know about that. You know, it's kind of crazy because lightning's been around forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, hence Zeus, Zeus, as I just mentioned. <laughs> Zeus. Um, but, you know, we still know, we know what, you know, we've gotten really good at understanding what the impacts are hitting the ground. And there's still things that amaze me. You know, you can get lightning strikes 200. And that's something with the new GOES satellites that we figured out is you've got lightning that is striking not just 25, 50 miles away from a storm, but hundreds of miles away from a storm. Talk about a problem, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so it, it's uh, it thankfully doesn't happen too often, but it's it's very interesting. Talk about a real bolt from the blue there. There you go. Yep. Yeah, coming out of nowhere. Okay, who's next? Adam, let's uh, go to you. Let's get tropical. Oh, I love. Oh, I, I do love semi-pro. That's why I, as soon as we, we talked about tropical, I was like, I got I got the perfect moment. I'm looking for the picture. Had to send it in the group text. Um. But yeah, no, uh, tropical forecasting uh, really is dependent on the season. It's more climate than it, not climate, but you look more at climate data for the region than you do day-to-day forecasts. For us in the mid-latitudes where we have cyclones that come through all the time or low-pressure systems, as we call them, with a cold front, with a warm front, and sometimes a dry line, you don't really look for that when you're looking at the tropics. Um, In college, I took tropics, tropical, obviously, as that's why I'm talking about it, and while I'm not a big fan of I mean, going down to like Florida and doing hurricanes and stuff. Um, I do like some of the more intricate aspects of it. So uh, some of the stuff that, you know, you don't hear a lot about, like we can always talk about hurricanes and tropical cyclones and tropical storms, but we don't really talk about monsoons or the ITCZ or all that good stuff. Or even just the fact that when you look at just the different seasons, every time it's something slightly different. So one of the places we had to do, we had to do forecasting for different parts of the globe. And attended Arevo and Madagascar was one of the ones I had to do when we first did that semester. And what I came to learn, especially since they're in the southern hemisphere, uh, Anatana Arevo was very easy to forecast for. And I mean that 
in a general broad sense in a very nitpicky way it got a little more frustrating but you could guarantee almost every single day the same forecast and it's a lot like that with a lot of the tropics in terms of just forecasting uh because there's really not again the cold fronts the warm fronts and if you don't have a hurricane or a tropical cyclone coming through it doesn't change too much until you start going to a different season that's when you start seeing changes i mean March or not March, but spring, summer, or not so much spring, but more so just summer and uh, winter really are your biggest changes and what really you see your drivers for different types of weather. Um, a perfect example would be India uh, when they get the monsoon in Southeast Asia. Monsoon season is probably the one time of year they get the majority of their rainfall, and then that's it. And it's pretty interesting to think about. You know, we get rain or snow every couple of days here if we're not having a drought. But for some places, that is their their one haul is during monsoon season. And uh, there's a lot of intricacies into it. And I could probably sit here all rest of the afternoon and start talking about how the monsoon sets itself up, how it does this. And when you say monsoon, people automatically think, oh, lots of rain. Well, no, it's just a changing of the wind with the seasons. Yeah. So once we get to about summer here, actually the end of this month, going into next month and a little bit of July, too, we'll start seeing more impacts from the monsoon out in Southeast Asia and India, too. Now, we have a monsoon in North America, too, if you want to call it a monsoon. It's a little bit different, but in the desert southwest, New Mexico, into Arizona, they have a seasonal shift of winds as well, and that brings rain for them. And for some places, that's about most of the rainfall they see for the entire year, very much like in Southeast Asia, except in Southeast Asia, they have a lot more rainfall because there's the Indian Ocean right there, yeah. whereas you go to desert southwest it's pretty far from bodies of water so yeah, it's more of a it's a continental tropical air yes. mass as opposed to a to a maritime tropical but there's still some influence there from the oceans obviously yep. you got the pacific and mm-hmm. then you've got the gulf of mexico that kind of feed into that yeah, the gulf of uh california is also another yep. one too gulf of that's another good spot yep. um that's where they get a lot of the moisture from so it's it's just different because you know you think of monsoon you think oh man lots of rainfall all the time like you might get a couple of really good thunderstorms with heavy rain but it's not just widespread, flat-out no. rainfall. No. Um, the ITCZ, which I mentioned, which if I can remember my meteorology off the top of my head, and you might have to help me, Chris, because okay. it's, it's a very long phrase. It's the inner, IT, inner tropical convergence zone. Am I right? Yes. Yes. And that's usually found roughly – thank you, Molly, for the clap. It's usually found just around the equator. Now, that really is one of the drivers for South America for – forecasting weather uh, in terms of rainfall they also don't get the cold fronts it's very rare you see a cold front get that far south uh, or if you're on the other side of the hemisphere that far north um because just the cold air just doesn't make it that far so your itcz is your daily chance of rain that's why rainforests really fall along the itcz and that movement of the itcz also affects the monsoon it's all connected to in one shape way uh, one way or form uh, the Enso, uh, El Nino, La Nina also impact that kind of stuff. So you also have to look at a lot of p- bigger patterns if you want to figure out what you're doing for the season. Um, but just the sun is a major driver too, which it's a major driver for all weather. But just depending on what your sun angles are for that time of year, whether you're in summer or in winter, really drive the forecast. But I cannot tell you how many times I did Anatena Revo and I was like, all right, I think I got this. We're going to go 88 for a high. No, 91 for a high. Uh, 50% chance of showers and thunderstorms. Sure enough. What did we get that afternoon? Showers and thunderstorms. <laughs> about the same time every day. And then we switched night to Puerto Rico, which had a little bit more influence from the mid-latitudes. But 
it's just interesting to see how like they're they're more seasonal based for changes in forecasts, and that's why I think a lot of people like the tropics is because your really big changes aren't going to be maybe a land sea breeze, but outside of that, it's very big synoptic scale stuff. And this is coming from a guy who loves mesoscale, but for some reason, I just like other I like weather other places just because we don't get to see it mm-hmm. experience it here. Um, another cool thing in the tropics, speaking of land sea breezes, is Hector in Australia. And that's one thing I did a I read a whole research paper about and did a whole uh, review about it. Um, in Australia, there is an island that nobody really goes to, but you can almost count almost always, almost always daily that they have around the afternoon hours during peak heating. And keep in mind, Australia, once you get far enough north, you get really a lot of influence from the uh, ITCZ slash equator. It's very warm. Opposite of here, where you go farther north, it gets cold. Um, thunderstorms. Every single day and some of the largest in terms of size and spatial and one island and some of them get severe enough to put hail down but most of them stay sub severe and what by our standards in america and every day you can just look out and look at the island you can see hector every single day they call it hector every single day like clockwork almost so that's some of the tropical stuff i mean we could sit here and talk about hurricanes we could talk about all this other stuff and all the some of the topics i broadly brushed through but basically, when you want to forecast for um, any of the tropics, what you really got to look for is just what are their averages? What do they look at this time of year normally for temperatures? Um, has there been rainfall already that day? If not, will there be a chance for later today? Cloud cover? And that's about it. Yeah, the tropics are interesting. And, and it's if you're going somewhere tropical, uh, even outside, especially outside the U.S., you know, understand when the rainy season is and, mm-hmm. you know, and plan. Um, plan around it according and it's especially not, in asia and it's interesting because florida people think tropics they think of florida but florida still gets a lot of influence from mid latitudes mm-hmm. yes as compared to puerto rico or you know it's uh, you know it's south. it's the u.s's tropical it is it tropical is. climate along with well, along with hawaii which by the way i think was under a winter storm warning today what or at least the 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 mountain oh uh, uh, on big island yeah. yeah that's the only yeah. spot that gets snow it is it's Year also round. uh the big island is also the furthest southern point of the united states that's not continental that's not continental mm-hmm. so wow. i think i knew that southernmost point of the united states yeah i think i got that wrong once on a quiz and I, I've, I've been there it's not very exciting it's no. actually someone's backyard it's not yeah yeah all right your that, turn my turn all right so this week earlier this week um for those who don't know, <clears throat> let's go back. Well, okay, let's get back. Earlier this week, the uh, NOAA released their their new climate normals. And uh, to understand what a climate normal is, you probably need to go back in and look at the definition. So a lot of people post, well, what is normal with weather, right? Everything's constantly changing. And so when we, when we say your normal high or your average high is 71 degrees, which it is for today's date, how often do we actually hit 71 degrees on May 7th? Hardly ever. I mean, you're usually going to be well above it or you're going to be well below it, but it all averages out to, to 71. Well, what period do they decide to calculate that for? Well, they go back and they use a 30-year period for that. And every 10 years, that 30-year period gets recalculated for the previous 30 years. So earlier this week... They released their calculations, and now the new climate normal period runs from 1991 to 2020. 
And when you start comparing those decades, you know, from they, they do this all the way dating back to the early 1900s. And you can kind of pick out a trend over over the 10 year period. Well, since the last update, and this is kind of kind of, you know, no surprises, really. But the average temperature from the previous climate period, which up until earlier this week, ran from 1981 to 2010. And I actually remember when they actually adjusted those. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was in the business in 2010 when they, when, or 2011 when they updated that. Anyway, uh, the average temperature was 51.9 degrees. The, uh, that is the average annual temperature. Now, the average annual temperature for Peoria is at 52.7 degrees. So we had a change of about uh, oh, just over three quarters of a degree. Average precipitation also uh, went up. It was 36.49, and it's now up to 37.55, so a change of about an inch and a tenth of rainfall over the course of the year. Or not just rain, combination rain and snow. Uh, average snowfall, that too increased twenty-four from 24.6. We now average 26.2, so a change of just over an inch and a half. So Peoria has trended warmer, has trended, trended wetter, and has trended snowier. So it's been kind of, you know, over the last 10 years, we've started to see these changes. Uh, you can go all the way back to the early 1900s. And so when, when you start comparing this to the century's uh, average, the 20th century's average from 1901 all the way to, I believe, what, 2000? 2000, 2001, right? Yeah, that they would, you find the averages there, and you can kind of, you can see a steady warming trend over the course of each decade. Now, it's not consistent everywhere. Um, there's certainly regional influences. You know, For instance, in the early 1900s, uh, the southeast was below, or excuse me, was above average temperatures from the, um, from the century mean. They trended in the 1940s through the 1990s, and even into, yeah, through the 1990s, cooler. And now, over the last decade, they have started to to warm back up. Now, a lot of reasons for this. Um, obviously, there's the the climate change stuff, and you you get less um, you get less ice. You've got you've got more land development. You've got different land usage. Everything is contributing to to a warming climate. One thing I noticed with the map that you posted yep. on uh, the weather blog is that a lot of places that had higher increases seem to be very close, if not identical, to where. Uh, population centers have been sprouting up. Uh, yes. I looked at one yep. and I thought, that looks kind of like where Peoria would be roughly. And then I looked at another, I was like, that looks like Lubbock. That looks like Amarillo uh, yep. out west. So, I mean, I'm not saying it's 100% uh, correlated with it, but it does. It certainly plays a role. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Because yep. the urban yep. heat, heat island effect. Uh, Peoria, you know, things get a little more. And one thing I've, I've tried diving into this a little bit, and somebody noted a few years back. And they said, Our, it feels more humid than it used to be. And so I went back and looked, and sure enough, there was a change in dew points in central Illinois in the late 70s and early 80s. Well, that's about the time, I believe, the ethanol tax credits came out. And so there was more corn being grown. Well, that's And so that influenced, you got higher dew points. You've now used, because corn sweats. A lot. I mean, it puts out a lot of moisture. Corn if you, fog. If you've ever been in a cornfield in the middle, uh, you know, late August, it's not the most desirable place to be. No. And 
Um, it is. It is. It, so that certainly has had an impact. And so I think you know you start you, when you start talking about ethanol production, and more incentive to grow corn for that makes sense that you're going to have you know. Is, so I bet if I we can dive deeper into that, you would you can kind of probably see uh, that change. But that also has an impact in your temperature because your temperature doesn't get quite as warm, you know, when you have that uh, when you have that extra moisture in the air. So kind of an interesting. Interesting topic that we can go down the rabbit hole on, but, but I, yeah. I noticed when I, I mean, granted, I live where I live is where the cornfields end and the steel mills begin uh, in northwest Indiana, but when I spent a whole summer with my grandparents in central Illinois and Muhammad outside of uh, Champaign, surrounded by cornfields up until you got into Champaign, and uh, not only could you see in the morning, early morning, a lot of the fog forming right over the corn and some uh, mist over the corn, but you felt it. <laughs> you could really felt, feel it on a summer's day. Whereas compared to home, it's like you feel a little bit, but not quite as much. There wasn't as many cornfields as home as there was here in central Illinois. Boy, it makes me feel bad. Uh, I don't want to know what happens in the middle of Iowa now. <laughs> or Nebraska. Uh. No. no it's, it gets, oof. Anyway, so we and we will have these. I have some of these maps posted on our website already, ciproud.com. But uh, maybe we can try to get um, Adam can add these to our weather blog story, these, these national maps they're they're interesting i don't a lot of people want to boil it down to one thing uh, or or you know it's way i think it's far more complicated than that you know every time we have an el nino season and it's particularly a strong one which over the last decade i think we did have a rather strong el nino that is a big release of heat from the ocean every el nino if you kind of look at the the decade following an el nino event you know, when the ocean releases a lot of that heat you see a jump in global temperature because that you know that's what that's the process of releasing that that heat that's stored in the oceans for for years on end. Um, so it, you know, a lot of people want to boil it down to well, it's just CO two. It's it's a lot more mm-hmm. it's a lot more complicated than that. It, and uh, you know you got urban you know you got urban areas that are growing, and so you're gonna your temperatures naturally are gonna start to and we've seen this and you see this in major metropolitan areas all the time. As the community, you know, as the cornfields get taken away and and the cropland gets taken away and replaced with urban areas, you're going to see concrete and steel. You're going to, you know, that's going to increase your temperatures as well. So it, it it's not just a simple. That's the only reason there. It's a very complex. And so I ask people, you know, because this is a, you know, climate change can be a touchy subject for mm-hmm. many, and understandably, and it's not the only. I think it's it, it it takes there's a lot more to it and it's a lot more complicated. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like when you're writing an essay and you put only one sentence. It's like no no no. There's a lot more right. you need to write before this essay question is answered. Yeah, mm-hmm. look, I'm not going to pretend to know everything on this topic. I don't. It you know there's a lot of there's a lot of good science. There's a lot of questionable science. There's a lot of things we just don't know. And one of the hardest things for meteorologists it seems to say is I don't know. Seems to be sometimes the hardest thing. Well, you're expected to know all all the things about the weather, aren't we? Yeah. I don't know. You're expected to know it. You're, you're, <laughs> as I've told people before, uh, when I wake up in the morning, I've gotten questions from family members. What's the weather like going to be? Are going to be like today? And I'm like, I just woke up. Give me. You want me to I don't know. Stick two my seconds. finger. Yeah. You yeah. want me to stick my Give finger in the air and wave it around and see what happens? Because that's not going to happen. Now the cool thing, and I found this rather interesting, is, uh, and it's really it's no surprising when you kind of look at it. Um, but uh, the the precip has trended uh, noticeably wetter over the last several decades. 
Um, now, this makes sense if when you compare it to the to the temperature map because a warmer you know, warmer temperatures or warmer air can hold more moisture. So it makes more sense that when it, you know, when it, when it rains, it now pours, right? It's going to rain harder. It's going to rain a little heavier in the areas that get it. Now it's probably going to be drier as we've kind of seen over the, uh, the Southwest, for instance, has trended, has trended drier since the, you know, since, or from one, from the last 30 year period, to the more recent and you look at all the drought conditions they've had it's that you know you kind of can see that yeah now is that permanent i don't think anybody could tell you that there's probably going to be some sort of eventually there'll probably be some sort of pattern shift where they get more rain and we'll see that happen over time and it's a it's still a very small snapshot right this is taking one 30-year period and you're comparing it to another 30-year period which overlaps uh tw- over a 20-year window there uh, so, it, you know, it's hard to say that's the culprit. But, you know, warmer temperatures hold more, you know, the atmosphere can hold more moisture. It can then rain a bit more. So it should be no surprising that we're getting more snow. Now, you may not co- correlate with warmer temperatures, more snowfall. But if your temperatures, even in the winter, are slightly above average, which in December, I think, showed the biggest warming for central Illinois, you know, there's a lot more moisture available there. You know, you can you can drop more snow. So it kind of makes sense in that terms. Um, the coldest minimum temperatures have also kind of slightly have increased, I think, region or nationwide. It's, you know, it's not much. It's just, a, it's just ever so slightly, but it's, it's been a noticeable trend. And so, um, and if you look at the, the decades warming trend, according to NOAA's annual average U.S. temperatures, and this goes back from, 19, from excuse me, 1895 all the way to 2000, there's been a change of 0.16 degrees Fahrenheit per decade. So, gradual uptick in warming again. You have less sea ice. CO2, we know, is a greenhouse gas that does a good job of can, you know, maintaining heat. But you also got the sun that's heating the globe nonstop. Mm-hmm. It's going to continue to warm. Now, eventually, what, what happens from here? Does it all dry out? Do we all, does it all turn to dust and we just, we see no greening? We stop growing crops. I don't know if that's the case because the earth also has been trending greener despite deforestation uh, deforestation in certain parts of the globe so that's interesting um so it's a very complex um topic but it's still interesting to note that we have certainly seen that warming over the course of the last uh, few decades and since the lot and since the early 1900s but if you have any um i definitely implore you to keep reading more on the topic um there's one book that I like to, that I think has a really good take on on this, because a lot of folks, the, there's a lot of questions on whether you address climate change in the way that you that you try to stop warming, or do you mitigate it? Do you prep? And I think that's more where we probably need to go. It's a lot cheaper, easier to adapt than it is to stop something that is already hundreds of years in the making. And how do you slow something down like that? Doesn't mean you stop. Doesn't mean you stop doing, you know, you know, maybe less driving or whatever it is. And those are way that's a way above my head. But uh, I think you you take a an approach to kind of mitigate. Uh, you know, if the if the sea levels are going to rise, you try to raise, build build walls or whatever you need to do to to prevent that rise from impacting areas that are right along the coast but uh look into it there's a book i read it's called apocalypse never i find it's a really good interesting book if you're kind of looking for um 
a different take on on the topic of climate change, but also read the other stuff too. Read you know read the international was it the IPCC International Panel on Climate Change inter intergovernmental panel. What well, is there's a G in there. <laughs> there then. is there isn't there. It's it, anyway. It's the whatever the UN. It's the IPCC and read their reports. <laughs> Read their reports. I've read them. I just don't remember the acronym because I've got too many acronyms swirling around my brain right now. I T C Z N So <laughs> Case in NOAA, NOAA. That's Ugh. all we do is acronyms. Yeah. That's part God, of the There job. was a good somebody the National Organization of Annoying Acronyms is what NOAA stands for. <laughs> I mean, that, I learned that one. Yeah, true. Yeah, it's it is. A lot of, well, it's just in, I think in meteorology in general. Cause oh, we have, yeah, we got acronyms you up got, the wazoo. You got you got NWS, NWAA, SPC, SWAD. We said SWAD before. SWAD. We got Severe SWAD. Severe Weather Alert Day. We've got the NAO interacting with the AO, which uh-huh. then has an impact on the ENSO, which yeah, boom boom. boom. At <laughs> which point, everybody A-O. just turned off this <laughs> podcast. Yeah. No, no, come back. <laughs> Anyway, so yeah, check it out. We employ you to, you know, do some research. I don't have all the answers on this topic. It's it's a it's a difficult one to talk about, at least in in proper uh what's the word I'm looking for? Context, because there's a lot to it. There's it's a lot more complicated than I think any one newscaster can talk about. Um but uh, one thing we know is it has it has warmed up. Our averages are warmer, so our average high temperature for today is now 71 degrees instead of 70, you know, and, and we've seen that trend continue. And uh, it's, uh, it's wetter, so don't be alarmed if we continue to see wetter, you know, wetter springs, wetter summers, and yes, even snowier winters. Boo. Uh, which I think is very unpopular in central Illinois. You mean the Midwest period? Yeah. I mean, well, I like it. I'm not arguing. I'm a snow lover. Well, you you say that, and then we had the winter that we just had. <laughs> and you Chris. said you were over it. We have it on podcast. We you do. said you were over it. I did say I'm over <laughs> it, and I and I was over it, and I still am. But I still like a good snow, which I I don't think we are, we a good a, a good I like snow. a good snow, not a lot of good snows. Multiple do, good snows. One. One singular. <laughs> no, no plural. <laughs> One a single. Yes. All right. Uh, who's got a joke? Adam. At, 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 you already. I am the joke. Duh. <laughs> you already threw one out there earlier. Yeah, my bad. I mean, I've got one that's really bad since we were on the snow topic. Yes. Yes. Go ahead. I but Adam, hear this. Adam, you keep looking for one because this is this is so bad. I don't think we can end it on this. <laughs> what do snowmen eat for lunch? What? What? Icebergers. <laughs> told you that. <laughs> That's terrible. <laughs> terrible. No, I'm not laughing at all. What? <laughs> also, as soon as you said it, I was like, I found. Oh, he's got one. No, no, no. No, we, we want to hear yours. Do, yeah, we still want to hear yours. All right, it. we're going to get a twofer, a twofer today, a twofer, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages. We have, what do you call a snowman that tells a tall tale? A snowfake. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be here all week. Try the veal. 